Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hi, welcome to Chewing the Fat, the Yale Sustainable Food Program speaker series. This is Anna Lippin. I'm a student intern for the YSFP, and today um, we have with us Anjali Obroy uh, of Bernoulli Finance, um, which she founded. It provides financial strategy, planning, and operation services to ecologically-minded ventures, including businesses in the sustainable food sector, uh, like Dandelion Chocolates, Magnolia Brewing, Nutrias, and others across the U.S. O'Broy's other professional affiliations include finance instruction at the Foodcraft Institute, a nonprofit imparting traditional food making and business skills to entrepreneurs, and CEO at Fair Resources, a collective of consultant entrepreneurs that build strong food communities through consulting, education, and research development. So thank you for coming, Anjali. Thank you for having me. So I, I'm sure that our audience probably just gathered a little bit of, of this from what I just read, but when I was researching you before today's interview, I sort of my mouth kept gaping wider and wider as I kept on reading because of the of your career trajectory, essentially, um, which began in New York as an analyst. Is that right? Uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yep. So, in brief, could you sort of explain how you came from being an analyst in Philadelphia to Bernoulli Finance? I will try and make that a nutshell. Um, So, I moved to the U.S. with grad school about 12 years ago and uh, started out as, after I finished, Mm -hmm. started out as a financial analyst in at at a lending institution in Philadelphia. And um, I was um, always interested in food, and I suspect that that is something that we'll come to in a bit. Um, So essentially what I was doing along the way was working to gather and strengthen both my quant skills as well as my working with people in a business environment Mm skill set um, as I was moving through uh, my, and I can't really say I had a master plan. But yeah, I was, was going to ask. So you were just <laughs> skill gathering, but not necessarily for a specific. No. So I, I definitely knew I wanted to work with food and from a finance perspective. And that's something that I'd had in mind for a while. Um, I went into working with the company I was with in Philadelphia for a couple of years, sort of circulating through a number of their divisions, learning more about how each division managed its own functions and partnered with the others, a lot of sort of cross-functionality there, um, and then moved to become a management consultant in New York, um, where I was definitely, if you're looking for awkward people situations, that definitely a place to, you know, put yourself in. Um, So I worked there for um, a few years alongside large corporations and clients, none of them were food companies. Um, We worked with companies in um, financial services, media and publishing, um, contracting and manufacturing um, on both operations consulting, as well as um, sort of revenue generation and planning and growth mode. Uh, And while I was doing that, I started managing the internal financial division within our consulting firm and started getting really deeply into finance outside of a school Mm -hmm. situation. Um, So the day I was able to leave, I was I was working in the US on a work visa. And Mm -hmm. the day I was able to get my green card and, you know, have freedom of sorts, I essentially left. 
at that point in time and then just moved my focus to the food sector and started building my contacts in there. Um, I left to travel for a while in the middle for about six months, volunteering along the way and trying to learn more about food systems as a whole. Where where uh, did you travel to? Uh, Let's see. I started out with Ecuador, moving and volunteered on a farm there. Um, So all through my years, previously working as a financial analyst, I've um, always maintained an interest in chocolate in particular. And uh, I definitely, I did a lot of work in the sense that I tried and I took a lot of trips to learn more about chocolate and volunteer in chocolate as much as I could. And then when I was able to leave, I actually have for six months to go to Ecuador, Brazil, um, New Zealand, Australia, Indonesia, and um, then landed back in the U.S. six months later, uh, just traveling along the way and learning as much as I could about farming and working on farms um, doing that. And then uh, when I returned to the U.S., it was really sort of starting to starting afresh, building my network in the food sector and trying to figure out if there was a room for my skill set, which was operations and finance, in a very product and passion-driven industry. Um, so I started volunteering with companies in the New York area, which is where I was based, um, essentially just putting myself out there and meeting food entrepreneurs and asking them if they needed help with building spreadsheets or tools or ways to work out what they were doing with their finances. And um, until someone I'd worked with for four months looked at me one day and said, you know, I should start paying you. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. Um, So interning is, is a word we're very familiar with here. So you were essentially donating your time and your effort with the eventual hope of being hired or was it more did you did you know you wanted to start your own company with the contacts that you had made I did not have a plan to start my own company at Uh the time but I did know that I didn't want to make a commitment to a single company until I knew why I was going to be there and what my growth path was going to be and so Mm -hmm. my initial exploratory phase was really focused more around figuring out if there was room for my skill set and if it was needed and how I could start tailoring it to think outside of big company situations to working with smaller resource-trapped startups and help them get to a place where they were actually able to use tools that we built for them. Um, And, you know, as is typical in the case of the startup and the entrepreneur, the founder, kind of does everything. And... um, If you have somebody who's really passionate about their product and a visionary in terms of how they're starting out their company, but they also have to be in charge of their finance and their operations, you want to be sure that what you build for them is something that they can use, uh, not something that their accountant or their financial analyst or somebody else is going to be interfacing with. Uh, And so it was really trying to get to that skill set and working with companies over a few years um, and sort of making a deep foray into food. I must have spoken with maybe about 600 people over three months to learn more about what I wanted to do in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, sometime into it, so essentially I I moved to work with a startup in New York for a while while still continuing my consulting practice um, and then joined one of my consulting projects. Ended up being... um, 
an offer to build a financial plan for chocolate production in Belize. And so when I was approached to make that plan, it was, it was um, you know, my response was, are you kidding? Is that a trick question? And are you paying me to do that? That's amazing. So I jumped on board. Um, this was a company, this is a company that's based in California and uh, has Belcampo. Okay. Oh, Belcampo. And Belcampo is, I joined them to start working on um, essentially building out their financial plans for Belize, uh, where they were setting up an agritourism facility to grow cacao to make chocolate. And uh, a month and a half into working with them on that project, they asked me to join, come on board as their CFO. Um, And that was a sudden shift into working with just one company that had more than 25 different lines of business across three countries uh, that did not have a financial or accounting team in place. And so I um, worked with them for three years to build um, that team and to put the planning in place and to work with our investor to essentially ensure that all of the financial messaging went through. Um, And towards the end of my... Say two years into working with Belcampo, we also set up um, as an affiliation, and it, it's a nonprofit that works out of the same space as them. It's called the Foodcraft Institute. Um, yes. And I started I started teaching at the Foodcraft Institute while I was working at Belcampo. Uh, it was really one of those off the cuff things where the executive director at the time said, "Hey, we don't have a finance instructor. Instructor, could you step in?" And I had never taught a class in my life. Um, and so I walked in to do that, found that I loved it, realized that there are so many businesses out there that need the skill set and don't have the resources to bring on a full-time financial management team. And a year um, or so into teaching with Foodcraft and while working for Belcampo, I, you know, the, the idea for Bernoulli Finance came into being. Um, and so that's how I started the company two and a half years ago. Sorry. Wow. Long-winded that answer. That was a, an, an, an amazing answer. And who are your, who did you start Bernoulli with? I started by myself. Um, okay. So I, um, it's been two and a half years now. And uh, we are now a team of seven people who, and my team is pretty spread out and very focused on different aspects of finance. But it was definitely, um, for the first year, it was just me. And how did you find and cultivate your clients? That's a, it's a great question. It's actually been um, when I decided that I wanted to start the company, I didn't decide I wanted to start it so much as just reach out and say, hey, do you think this is a viable idea to some of the food businesses I was coming in contact with? And within a day of mentioning it, I had two people reaching out to me to say, we'd love for you to build our financial plan or figure out what we need. Um, And from then on, it's been purely a word of mouth Mm -hmm. uh, exercise. We've, I I think it'd be safe to say we've done zero marketing outside of speak at events if I I happen to be there. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially just been, you know, a snowball that's been picking up speed through word of mouth across our client set. So I did put out... The word to me be about, you know, 10% of my network saying, hey, I'm thinking of starting this thing and this is what I will be offering as part of it and received information, you know, few of them immediately reached out to me and said, we know companies that you can help. Um, And then once I started doing that and building 
what our portfolio of services was, it was easier to reach out to the rest of my network and say, this is what we're doing. Um, and so since then, it's kind of, it's taken on a life of its own, I would say. Could you give um, some examples of clients that you've worked with and how you've helped them develop a financial strategy and maybe highlighting the difference between, say, a brewing company and a chocolate company? Sure. Um, so we work with clients across um, the food chain, no pun intended. <laughs> but essentially, I would say about 90% of our clients are in the food sector. Um, we specifically look for a commitment to adding social or environmental value, ideally both. Um, and our clients tend to be anywhere from farmers to food processors to um, food service, food retail, wholesale, food technology. It's a pretty wide mix. Um, a lot of our clients, however, tend to be in that food production, processing, wholesale, and retail space. And uh, we've worked with um, companies that have either a mixed set of product and service offerings across different channels or very specifically focused on single channels. Um, so for instance, one of my um, clients in the Bay Area is a company named Dandelion Chocolate. Um, they are a bean-to-bar chocolate company that make that source uh, sources its own beans. The company sources all of its beans from its various points of origin. And at any given time, they have about 10 different countries that they source from. And they do single-origin, small-batch chocolate. And they have their own production facility um, and sell have a retail space and also sell um, wholesale. And with them, our... our um, sort of our work with them isn't entirely focused around providing their um, financial management need or providing for their financial management need from A to Z, with the exception of we don't do taxes. Um, and we typically to date have not necessarily gotten involved on the bookkeeping end. Uh, so we really just started out with the idea of providing analytics and strategy services and then fast expanded that into accounts management and operations um, because it was very much a setup where if you didn't have good data, you couldn't really do anything beyond it. Uh, and so our services have expanded along those lines. And so with Danline, we are very much a hands-on financial operator in the sense that we work with their across their various divisions to help them with setting in place cash management practices, ensuring that systems are speaking to each other, ensuring that accounting reports get done on time, and then working through that with them on longer term planning and helping on the financing end as well. Uh, and that's one example of a mm -hmm. very involved client engagement. We may have, we have other clients who we step in to do a single point project for where they might need a financial plan to help raise funding. Mm -hmm. um, and we bring that in or for expansion, or for expansion like or for um, typically for expansion. So it could be expansion to a new um location or it could be expansion to a new product line or it could really just be getting um, ready to supply to a whole new set of customers and therefore mm. needing to build up inventory uh, and that's something that's very typical of food companies in general is that the capital investment required up front is fairly large and you need to see that happen before I, I realize it happens with a lot of industries but with food it tends to go by 
fast. The money disappears quickly. Mm -hmm. And so we work with them to put in place spaced out financial plans to work and then help them present those to investors or funders and speak with them about the merits of investing in this particular business and the returns that they would see from it. And those tend to be projects that are more focused on pure strategy and financing as opposed to operations because they could be handling all of that mm -hmm. on their own. Do you also conduct market research? What are, What's trending? You know, Do you personally see any specific industries as on the cusp of getting even bigger? Whether, yeah. We do do market research for our clients, but with the idea, essentially our market research is tends to be focused again, more around the financing angle. So for instance, if we have to work with a client to figure out what their valuation is um, and put that as a convincing argument to a set of investors or funders that they're working with. Our market research tends to be focused on what is happening in that particular industry, what type of deals have occurred there, um, what you know value people are imparting or uh, sort of thinking about when they think about this particular sector and this particular location and how what its expansion opportunities are. So mm -hmm. our work tends to be more on those, but that being said, just in line with the types of clients that we've worked with and the trends that we've seen occur happen over uh, even the last two and a half, three years of working with um, you know, the company and where we will, we definitely see strong growth and potential in some areas and then gaps in others mm. that could be interesting to fill over time. Um, would you like me to give you an example? Or, yeah, <laughs> sure, that would be great. Um, so, for instance, one of the um, we were recently working with a um, a lender to help build a financial plan for one for a company that they are looking to invest in, mm -hmm. and the company is focused on providing a gateway or a point of connection for farmers and producers and restaurants in um, essentially moving whole animals to processed to process meat that the restaurants can buy. And this tends to be a huge gap in terms of the infrastructure of the farming system and the restaurant receipt system. And this was a problem that this company was, you know, it's a very local problem to solve, almost a hyper-local problem in each state or mm -hmm. city or locality that it might be in, but definitely a problem that needs solving and something that excites lenders who are focused on sustainable agriculture as a whole to see um, as a solution coming up. Mm -hmm. And just that's an example, for yeah. instance, that we've seen come up. And you mentioned earlier that um, in the companies that you work with, you try, to, you try to work with companies that impart social and environmental value. At what point did you decide that, that was something that you wanted to be a part of what Bernoulli Finance was? I don't think I ever considered that not being mm -hmm. what we wanted to do. Um, I've, I've always had, I feel funny to say I've always had it. It's always a, it's, it's a line that always feels strange to me, but um, my interest in the environment in general has been a strong one since I was, since I was a child. Um, it was very much a lot of what I did, a lot of what I focused on, a lot of the initiatives that I kind of participated with in were with that lynchment of focus around creating a world that 
um, left things behind as we had found it or better. Um, and I think that's actually, it's probably a line that comes down to me from my dad. It's, he thinks about small environments, but mm. it's really just leave everything as you found it or better. And it's, it's um, definitely something that's been a focus of all of the work that I have done and sometimes been a conflict for me with some of the bigger companies that I've worked with because, you know, when you're, you're if it's not a priority, it quickly becomes rather, it, it, it quickly sort of progresses or regresses mm-hmm. into becoming a, a very uh, serious non-priority, which mm-hmm. creates a lot of damage. And particularly with food, I think that there are issues in the food system, no matter which country of the world or which region of the world you're looking at, there are particular issues of the food system that tend to um, have an impact far beyond the actual chain that you're focusing on. And in the U.S., I've lived here now for more than a decade, and I, I think the problem, there's a there's a huge problem to me associated in the food system with a level of a surplus of calories and not so much uh, a concentration on quality and um, a not so much a concentration on the waste associated with the production of those calories, all of which have a very lasting impact on on where we live and you know our planet in general. Um, and so I would say that the environmental part of it was very much a focus in all of the work that I've done and something that I wanted to do when we set out to help small food companies. My focus was really to, the idea is not really to get just yet another slew of small businesses up and running and have them be viable, but really build a meaningful, intentional set of businesses that bring some value to what they uh, to what they're taking from, mm-hmm. and that's what we try and focus on with all of our clients. Um, I think social responsibility to me came in along the way. I, I would say, I wouldn't say that it was not a. It's more a. Um, Something that I learned along the way as starting to become really important within uh, a company, both in its ter- in terms of its organizational culture and the people that it interacts with. Um, and the good thing about where we are right now in, uh, you know, the small business world and particularly in the U.S. as a whole is that it's not really hard to make those two things a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of support to make it happen. And we definitely try and further it as much as we can in our work with our clients as well. Yeah, I, I feel like I read and, and discuss and hear about the term corporate social responsibility more now than I ever have. And I was wondering, you know, you said that it, it's harder to prioritize those things when you're, you know, maybe a, a new analyst or something like that. How can young professionals that are maybe starting at the bottom of the food chain sort of bear those principles in mind as they're still sort of learning and gathering those skills? It's an it's an interesting question. You know, the thing is when you oftentimes when you're leaving and about to start on leaving university and about to start on your career, um, a lot of what should ideally be a choice isn't left up to be a choice to you. You Everything that happens around you in a work environment often gets dictated by the environment that already existed. Um, and I like disruption in general. 
Uh, I don't necessarily mean disruption in a social fabric, but definitely creating ways to make your environment around you more comfortable to you in terms of your principles and your ethics. And um, it's funny, I was speaking with my one of my colleagues the other day. So he uh, started working with us about six months ago. Um, he's fairly young. And he previously worked in an investment bank- banking environment where he said essentially their office didn't have any recycling bins. And he um, created a station of recycling bins around himself and essentially in his area at least made it a point to go collect um, the papers and everything that was being that were being thrown out and bring them and he you know and he was telling me about it just not so much as a oh here's a story that sort of tells you who I am but more sort of I've I was laughed at and I dealt with it until the company finally moved forward to put something in place around it and to me it's you know it's a great example it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be on a soapbox all the time, but it is a great example of something that you can do even in smaller efforts to try and create a system and a situation around your, um, you know, in your office space that mm-hmm. can make, that can move and make a lot of shifts. Um, what your company does as a whole and how they affect the outside world uh, with the with the product or the service, et cetera, that they're offering may not be something that you may have immediate impact on. Um, and it's it's a bit of a it's an interesting question because today I feel like we have the choice. We have the choice to work more and more with companies that make this a priority or uh, and we have we have the ability to question it. Um, when we come in, which is something that, you know, I, honestly, I don't even think that it existed maybe 10 years ago um, yeah. because of the increased focus mm-hmm. on, on those spheres in general. How do you evaluate um, entrepreneurs that are looking to grow their businesses? How, how do you know if, if someone's idea is going to have a real audience? Um, and further, you know, how do you evaluate the social and environmental impact that they might have so we don't have a um, defined metrics framework today and it's an interesting question because we've I've just come off a series of meetings uh, Bernoulli on site if you Mm -hmm. will to discuss (laughs) what our metrics and impact framework should be and how we evaluate who we're working with Uh, what kind of impact we had on their business and um, how that relates to what kind of impact they have had on the world in general. Because we could, um, so it's not, while we don't have that solidified as yet, the way we do work with the companies that um, we are currently engaged with is asking them very deep questions when we start working with them in terms of what their motivation was for starting their business, what their intention is with respect to building their business and what their goal is. We don't come in with a question like, what's your exit strategy? But more really, what is the value you are looking to impart? And even if you're not able to do that today with the resources available to you, what would 
it ideally look like to you? What would your business ideally look like to you if you were doing everything that you wanted to do with it, both from a product fulfillment point of view as well as a value fulfillment point mm -hmm. of view? Um, and our goal is then to work with our entrepreneurs to help them achieve that to the extent that they can within the resource pool that they have and work along those lines. Um, and to me, I think, honestly, the intention is always important mm -hmm. um, because if that exists, then they will find a way to prioritize um, what is important to them. When we come into a situation where the resources exist and the entrepreneur is essentially uh, very focused on their product and you know it's a great story in general but not necessarily looking at the um, not necessarily looking at the benefits that they could give shape to and what they want to bring into place it's something that it, it's been an interesting evolution for us too to learn over time that to recognize when to say no um, and to step mm -hmm. back and say you know this may not be the best fit so that um, is something that you have had to do. It's something yeah. we've had to do. It's something that we've had to learn to do, yeah. quite frankly, because as a new business, when you're starting out, you want to work with, I yeah. mean, you've got to build Not popular what you're building. Yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's definitely something that we've had to learn. Mm -hmm. And we're, I would not say that we've learned it. We, yeah. We're learning to do as we grow. Mm -hmm. um, could you also talk a little bit about the work that you do for the Food Craft Institute and FAIR resources? And to anyone listening, FAIR is spelled F-A-R-E, which I like. I like puns. Um, yeah, it's a great name. <laughs> a good name. So I'm actually CFO yeah. at FAIR resources, not CEO, which is... Um, CFO, um, yeah. And our... Um, so Foodcraft Institute, let me step back because Foodcraft Institute actually was my work with them started pre-Bernoulli and pre-Fair Resources. Yeah. Um, I still continue to teach um, with the Institute and um, it's been three and a half years now. Mm -hmm. um, they run a very um, informative series of classes for food entrepreneurs imparting uh, not just business skills but also craft skills. Uh, so they have a series of programs that might be focused on a particular food type and um, the business of beer, for instance, and they bring a number of brewery owners, have their students walk through facilities, learn about the decisions that the owners themselves took along the way to get to the point where they are. Uh, similarly, they have programs that focus on coffee and chocolate and butchery and so on. Um, so in all of those and in um, a separate series, which is a more business intensive focus series, I teach the finance and accounting classes. Mm -hmm. um, and my, it's not a very, um, I, I think I teach maybe about four to six series of classes in a year. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not something that requires immense amounts of face time from me, but it's an amazing way for me to, number one, interact with a number of small businesses, which I really love, uh, to teach, which I found out that I actually enjoy doing a lot. Um, and uh, three, really keep sort of a finger on the pulse of what is up and coming, mm. uh, particularly in the business intensive classes. It's a, it's a mixed bag of students and they're in different stages of development. And working with them is a really interesting way to seeing, to be, you know, to be seeing outside of our own entrepreneur set as to what is exciting people at this point in time and how they're growing. And um, 
and where they're heading from mm-hmm. there. Uh, it also ends up being, in many ways, a pipeline for work that we continue to do after they graduate from Foodcraft and get to a point where they need uh, financial planning help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fair Resources is um, a company that is very dear to my heart. It's essentially, we are a consortium of consultants um, with really a, a set of four partners at this point in time and potentially expanding that soon. Um, I started working with Fair Resources very soon after I started Bernoulli Finance. With the, we essentially plug in to provide all of the financial services in depth and technical, you know, technical expertise that their clients might require. So Fair Resources is evolving as a company in its service provisions as well. Um, the company started out with being a consulting um, service provider to food companies specifically um, along all lines of community building, marketing, strategy, mm. equipment sourcing, operations, finance, and Bernoulli Finance essentially, as I mentioned, plugged in to mm. provide what they needed. And we're now on this really interesting track of starting to build food programs within larger companies. And so one of um, Fair Resources clients uh, was Airbnb, for instance. We worked with them to build out their kitchen and plan out their menu and hire their kitchen staff and essentially create uh, Mm -hmm. an environment that can now provide three meals a day for hundreds of employees. Um, And so it's something that we're starting to see is a a big need in companies that are moving away from traditional management company and catering models to actually building food programs inside themselves. And it's exciting to see that happen because within that we can create more connections with the food community that we work with uh, and ensure that sourcing is solid. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a way for the farmer producer to actually meet the consumer, the large consumer, Mm -hmm. and create those connections. Um, And so I work with Fair Resources as their CFO, Mm -hmm. with Bernoulli's team plugging in as and when needed. Um, So it's a very synergistic relationship. Yeah, because I I was confused. Well, not really confused, more just baffled when I was reading everything that you do, but um, and how they blend together, but it really seems like each interacts with the other in a really symbiotic way. That's pretty cool. Um, and my, my last series of questions um, is about, uh, so, so this semester our Chewing the Fat theme is Women of Food. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had different um, women come to campus that are working in cheese, are working um, in magazines, working in healthcare. Um, but I was curious, um, given sort of the stereotypes that I'm familiar with about consulting and finance being very male-dominated, how if you've had that experience, if you had that experience when you were starting out, and and did that um, at all affect um, your your time when you were working first as an analyst and then later on with food entrepreneurs and so on? Um. So my uh, adult start was at an engineering school uh, in India. And, uh, you know, my sort of move, when I say the sort of a start and a move into adulthood and moving away from high school graduation, I was in a class of people, I I hope the ratios improved today, but essentially um, we were a class of 420 students, I think, with 20 women and 400 men. Um... It was intense. 
And it's definitely, I think, starting from there, <laughs> there's oh no God. ratio that's quite held up. There's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's no, there's nothing that's um, quite held up to what, or held down to what that was mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and so I think I learned very early um, it's some of the qualities that I would need to be able to be able to make myself heard I was going to say stand out but not really stand out as just make um, a statement and have it be heard and have it not be either scaring people or have you be jeered at or you know a a number of sort of negative impacts or effects that could come from it Um, it's definitely shaped a lot of the way that I've approached my career since then, uh, working as both an analyst and as a management consultant, uh, I wouldn't say it was male dominated, not by any means. Um, I never worked in a very traditional finance environment. So when you think about investment banking or you know yeah. the that side of it, um, and I think that had something to do with it. Consulting was definitely, I mean, I, there's a higher ratio of males, but definitely not male dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. Just having the background that I'd had as far as academia was concerned really helped come in and shape uh, who I was in that space and not think of myself in terms of gender and more in terms of the abilities and capabilities that I could put forward and what that meant to mm-hmm. um, to you know my client or my colleagues and who I was delivering to. Um, in the food space, it's actually kind of um, funny. I'm, I'm running through all of my clients through my head and I would say it's a 50-50 divide of being um, particularly in food. We do have some clients outside of food and actually those are all women entrepreneurs Um, but even in the food space it's a 50-50 break and they are um, and I think it's really interesting to see because I don't know that I've seen businesses that have failed and they've had a male or a woman person at the helm. And I've seen businesses that have succeeded hugely, and they've also had a male or a female mm-hmm. person at the helm. So I don't think I've ever approached definitely in the in the last six to seven years of focusing on food, ever looked at a business um, and kind of um, actively noticed that there was a difference in gender. Mm-hmm. In fact, Belcampo, uh, the company that I worked with prior to Bernoulli Finance, we were a team of all women. Um, yeah. that ran it and a, you know it's a beautiful it's a beautiful website with a really nice pink shade that that's true website. yeah um <laughs> not, not necessarily a connection but yeah so it's uh it's actually i mean our ceo um is a woman i mean anya's still there so she's a, a woman the president of the company is a woman the main project lead myself mm-hmm. um and it was actually kind of funny because when we'd interviewed when i was interviewing for an accountant we were like let's try and find a man because we just definitely need to create some <laughs> diversity in this workplace um so i think the food world in particular uh thankfully for a lot of reasons doesn't suffer so much Mm -hmm. from that bias either way Um, and a lot of the you know and sort of relative to a lot of the debates that I've seen still exist in a number of other industries like tech for instance exactly Um, so for my last question I want to ask something a little more fun I know you travel a lot for work and for pleasure Uh, so where is your favorite place that you've traveled to in the past two years and where would you like to go next 
Oh, that's a great question. I um, I think I have an unending appetite for travel. One of my favorite places that I visited in the last two years is actually um, a tiny little island off of the coast of Morocco, the Canary Islands. Um, we, uh, I was there in July of this year, and uh, it was kind of. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite places because I had absolutely no time for research to do to know learn anything about it before I landed. Yeah. And, um, and as the plane was coming down and I saw what it's a it's a volcanic soil island and it actually belongs to Spain and has the highest peak of Spain on the island, which is something that I never knew. And I visited Spain a number of times, but this was just a complete surprise. So even just landing down on it and realizing that it was so completely foreign to what I may have imagined in my head um, before I got in to see everything that is happening you know it's it's perfect it's like um beautifully situated perfect temperature they do a lot of their own farming the food is amazing and um uh the music is great and is it, it just moroccan spanish it's actually the food mm-hmm. uh yeah so it's a, it's a lot of seafood mm-hmm. um oh. and uh Pulpo or octopus was mm-hmm. <laughs> basically our sort of main staple of the day, any any day, every day while we were there. Um, where do I want to go to next? I think if I started, I wouldn't know where to stop. Um, I would really uh, like to visit. We've been talking about visiting Ethiopia. Uh, I haven't been there uh, as yet, and I. I've, Someone, um, my husband's sister actually was recently there and we were looking at pictures that they've taken of just their hikes and the gazelles and the wildlife that they came across and it's absolutely gorgeous and I think I'd love to go there. Um, and I think I, another place that I would love to see more of that I've seen just a small piece of while going into Tenerife was Morocco. Um, and I'd love to explore that more because it's a food culture that is very close to my heart. I grew up in the Middle East, mm-hmm. and so just the entire Arab-influenced Mediterranean um, and North African sort of cuisine is something that um, my my travels are very oriented around food. That sounds like the only way to travel to me. Okay, on that note, uh, thank you so much, Anjali. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website at www.yale.edu slash sustainable food.